Is this chicken what I have or is this fish? What are you? An idiot sandwich. Idiot sandwich what? An idiot sandwich, Chef Ramsay. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? Congratulations, you're a meathead, son. But you know what? Don't ever put your hands on my underwear. This is the Where's the yeah, I mean, you really don't make friends around here, do you? I, I didn't come here for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Snap Back to Reality, the podcast where we revisit the trash TV from the early 2000s that we grew up with and love to hate. I'm your host, Riley Ennis, and this is my very first episode. So I, first of all, would like to thank you all so much for joining me. Um, I thought I'd start out by kind of giving my background on reality TV and my personal journey that I've gone through. Um, so I grew up watching reality TV, uh, especially when I was younger, late elementary school. Middle school was my core peak reality TV time. Um, I watched a lot of VH1, the celeb reality TV block, um, MTV reality shows, and I loved a good TLC reality show. Um, I definitely watched Toddlers and Tiaras, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, those kinds of things. Um, I sort of grew up and thought that I was a little bit too good to be watching reality TV, so I stopped so much watching it as earnestly as I previously did. Um, I kind of had to convince myself that I was watching reality TV ironically when, in like, all honesty, I was just watching it because I genuinely enjoyed it. So, you know, I would sit there and I would watch my um, TLC, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, or my teen is pregnant and so am I. And I would convince myself that I was watching it because I was, you know, better than the people on the TV show. And I was just laughing at them for entertainment. But um, I fully just like enjoyed watching it. So, yeah, and then as I grew up, I kind of stopped watching it as much. There were always a few things that I always enjoyed, um, certain competition reality shows. Um, but in the summer of 2013, and I remember specifically that it was 2013 because I was studying abroad in Russia at the time, I started watching RuPaul's Drag Race. And that is kind of the reality show that I would say like reignited my love more than anything else. Um, and that show led me to eventually down the road listening to the Squirrel Friends Cocktail Hour podcast, which then led me listening to Amanda from that Squirrel Friends Cocktail Hours, her uh, Teen Mom podcast, Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom, which caused me to listen to Liz Bentley's Teen Mom podcast, Feathers in My Hair, and eventually the other um, Emotionally Broken Psychos Network reality TV show podcast, specifically The Smush Room and Spelling Tea. Um, I just need to give a shout out to all of those podcasts because if it weren't for them specifically inspiring me to start this uh, podcast talking about reality TV, I would not be here. I would not be talking into my microphone right now. So uh, thank you, especially to Amanda, who has been wonderful. I've emailed her asking her for advice on starting a podcast. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that she took the time to respond back to me and encourage me. And here I am now. So thank you so much. Um, so. For our first episode, we are going to talk about Survivor Borneo, the very first season of Survivor. Uh, Survivor is a reality show that I personally have never seen. Um, it's something that I was always, you know, aware of. It is probably one of the biggest reality shows, and I specifically wanted to start with it because it is, I think, the reality show that more than anything else kind of 
ushered in the modern era that is reality TV today. Um, I think The Real World was the first reality show. That's what some of my friends told me yesterday. So um, if that's incorrect, you can go yell at them. But uh, I think more than anything else, Survivor um, really blew up and exploded and more or less kind of created the whole genre and especially the genre of competition reality. Um, So yeah, I wanted to start with the very first, the beginning, uh, the first season, because why not? Um, so I, I went into this not really knowing too much about Survivor. Um, I had seen a couple of scenes before, I think on one of those old VH1, like best reality TV moment countdown shows that they used to have a ton of um, sidebar. Does anyone realize that those old VH1 countdown shows are basically what BuzzFeed lists are today? Like, did BuzzFeed just steal the entire idea from those VH1 shows? Let me know what you think about that. Um, So anyway, I had seen the famous rat versus snake speech on one of those shows, but of course I did not have the context for that. I didn't know what it was about. Um, I had seen another scene. I remember when it came up as I was watching the season um, of one of the tribes eating rats on the beach and everyone was freaking out at first about eating rat, but they were also starved for protein that eventually they're like, no, nah, this rat's really great. Like, give me some more rats. So, but that was, other than that, I didn't know. I didn't know who won. Um, I did eventually spoil that for myself as I was like Googling things about Survivor as I was watching through the season. I didn't go into the finale completely blind. I knew who uh Spoiler alert, I mean, it's a 19-year-old reality show, but Rich, Rich Hatch won. So I knew that he won as I was watching the finale. But other than that, I really didn't know too much about the season. Um, So yeah, overall, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I didn't, I wasn't sure if I would like it as much. Um, I didn't know if it just wasn't for me. Obviously, it's a super popular reality show, but my family never really watched reality TV, like, as a family. Like, we didn't gather around to see who was getting voted off the island week by week. Um, I think the only reality show that I ever remember watching with my family was American Idol, and even then it was just those very early seasons. Um, I don't think we watched American Idol after Carrie Underwood won, so... Yeah, so I wanted to start with Survivor, um, and I watched the entire season. I really enjoyed it. Um, But I wanted to specifically pick a single episode to go through and just kind of recap and talk about, so... The episode that I chose after watching the entire season was episode 10, which is called A Crack in the Alliance. Um, And I like this episode just because I think that it kind of marked a turning point in the Survivor season where people, kind of everyone on the island got their shit together more or less and realized that in order to play this game, you're going to have to start an alliance or be in a part of an alliance or vote strategically rather than just you know, hang out and have fun and build shelters and eat fish and rats and um, rice. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there was also a few key moments um, in this this episode that I thought were really interesting. It had some funny quotes and it had a, a really heartwarming thread throughout the um, the episode. So, so yeah, let's get into it. So, we open with the the last week. Oh, and I'm going to when I'm speaking about the episodes, I'm just going to speak as if anyone who is listening to this has seen what I'm talking about. So if you are completely out of the loop, I would suggest going back and at least watching this random episode 10 of season one of Survivor, or um, hopefully I can make it funny enough that if you haven't seen it, it's still an engaging listen. So last week, uh, it shows the scenes of Kelly, who was part of the four-person kind of core alliance in the Tagi tribe, 
um, Kelly, Rich, Sue, and Rudy, Kelly was having beginning to have doubts about being in the alliance and the ethics of being in an alliance for Survivor. Um, Rich was running around naked because it was his birthday, and to quote Rudy, he was going to have to go back to his wife and explain that he hung out with a queer that runs around bare-assed half the time. So, you know, some charming casual homophobia. Um, there is a lot of that in the first season of Survivor. Um, and then in the last episode, uh, or the previous episode, Kelly actually broke from her voting alliance, and um, she did not vote for Jenna. She was not the person who voted Jenna off the island. It was Sean, the doctor with one pierced nipple, who was voting alphabetically, who uh, had announced to everyone that Jenna was up next on his list, and that gave the Tagi Alliance an opportunity to kind of piggyback off of his vote and vote Jenna off the island. All right, so that was the last week. We start on the theme song. The theme song, I'm pretty sure, is kind of, um, like, racist because it just is some obscure sort of... It's called Ancient Voices, um, but it's uh, it's a bop. Like, I cannot get over it. Every time the theme song came on, I found myself dancing along to it, and it was really cute. So I looked it up. Apparently, uh, the theme song is based off of a Russian folk song that is something that sounds like... Uh, like it's supposed to be the words are go outside, get outside, something like that. Um, I studied Russian. I have a degree in Russian. I cannot speak Russian. I, uh, yeah, I stopped taking English cl- or language classes after I got back from studying abroad in 2013 and only ended up taking cultural and um, literature classes because I was lazy. And so I don't know Russian, but it doesn't sound Russian. It really just sounds like some obscure... Uh, they're in Malaysia. They're in Borneo. Um, so some kind of Malaysian, I guess. Ancient voices. Anyway, I'm spending too long on the theme song. The theme song plays. It's day 28. We open on the day after Jenna was uh, voted off the island. The mood is kind of low. Um, Sue kind of mentions that she's happy because it's quieter. Uh, she's dragging some piece of driftwood along the beach. It's kind of weird. I was trying to pay attention because, you know, now that I am more aware of the world of reality TV and of how editing comes into play and everything like that, um, I noticed throughout this episode that took the place over uh, three days that they cut back to Sue and a lot of her just dragging that driftwood around and she's wearing the same bathing suit and her hair is wet each time so you know it's from the same scene but um she mentions that she's happy because jenna talked a lot and then it shows her on a scene with colin and uh colleen sorry colleen and jervis um on a raft um and they kind of all imply that jenna was basically uh just kind of annoying i personally thought jenna was super cute and adorable and i never thought she was annoying and she was always happy and upbeat and bubbly so i was sad when she got voted off the previous week but it made sense everyone else kind of on the island indicated that they thought she was pretty annoying so um there's a lot of talk in this first little bit before the episode really gets going just about the alliance in general um about how Sean was kind of a doofus for voting alphabetically, about how they suspect that there might be alliance but with the Toggy people, but they're not sure. It's kind of repetitive, and they keep coming back to it, but we'll talk more about the alliance. Um, on the previous council, Rich almost got uh, voted off. He got three votes, and it was just because um, of luck, basically, that he... Uh, didn't get voted off the island. I think Kelly voted for Sean rather than turning against Rich fully, and so he wasn't voted off, and Jenna was. Um, but it was his birthday, and he did almost get voted off, which would have been would have been interesting to see. Um, 
so Rich is a little bit upset about having almost gotten voted off, and he kind of feels like he isn't being appreciated because he is the fisherman of the group. So he declares that he's going to catch less fish so that people start to miss it, Um, and he's probably going to just wait until there are only five people left on the island, which presumably he only means the five Toggy members who are left um, because they have been systematically voting off the Pagong uh, tribe members. Uh, He talks to Sue, and he goes fishing. Um, as he's fishing, there's this like kind of corny voiceover where, uh, to quote him, he says, There are, are analogies between my going out to the reef and hunting the fish and my picking off the tribe members one by one. I've been stalking them since before we got on the island, which is really dramatic, but I mean, I guess it, it makes for good TV. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cor- uh, corny. But yeah, then at that point, he decides that he's not going to get any more fish until there are only five people left. Um, cut back to the beach. Uh, they are eating the stingray that he caught. Sue's watching Colleen and Jervis eat Rich's stingray, and she's thinking that they're backstabbers for trying to vote him off, but then turning around and trying to eat the fish. So it cuts to Sue, and she's kind of starting to discuss her own personal strategy on the island, which, and this is this is the moment when I, like, fell in love with Sue. I had thought that Sue was funny, um, and that, you know, she was a good character, she was really interesting, but, like, it was in this episode that really cemented Sue was my queen, I stand Sue. I pull hard for Sue. I wanted Sue to win. I knew that she didn't because, like I said, I spoiled it for myself. But So it cuts to her in an interview, and she says that her strategy has always just been to play the dumb redneck, that people think rednecks are vulnerable and dumb, and they'll just talk and talk to them openly, exactly like Rich did. And then it cuts back to the scene of, yeah, Rich basically just explaining the strategy and saying how they're going to pick off all of the other members, and he's going to take Sue into the final with him. Um... And I I don't know, I relate to this. I'm not necessarily a redneck, but I am from South Carolina originally. Um, And I I do know a lot of rednecks and people that I grew up with. And I I appreciate that because, you know, people do think that if you're from the country, you're dumb and you're hick and you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. But I just like that Sue is out there representing for the people who are redneck, but are are, are also smart, interesting and strategic people. So Anyway, I just appreciate that. Um, And then she says, it cuts back to her, and she says, hopefully the redneck will burn the city slicker, so we'll see what happens. And I don't know. I just love Sue so much, so... Uh, then it cuts over to a Sue, uh, a scene with Sue and Kelly, rather, um, and they start strate- uh, strategizing that they're going to take Rich out in the end. Um, and I did notice specifically that Sue does call Rich a snake, so I was like, oh, there's foreshadowing for her kind of final speech there. I wonder if she um, had kind of been plotting that for a while once she saw the analogy of the snake and the rat. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use that on the end. Um, so... Uh, She gives Rich props for helping the Alliance kind of come together, but she doesn't trust him. Um, And what's interesting here is that Sue says she trusts Kelly 100%. She says they're they're like sisters. It cuts to an interview with Kelly, and she says that she and Sue have bonded, but she's not sure if she's trusted her fully. Um, And I just thought that was really interesting when I was watching this because in the previous episodes, and this kind of goes back to my earlier criticism of not knowing if the editing fully made sense, like all of the um, episodes didn't necessarily flow together in a way that was 100% clear. I hadn't realized that Sue and Kelly had become so close. Um, so it was interesting. Sue says that it uh, Easter would be the 20 year anniversary of her best friend's passing. And she's just happy to have someone like Kelly who she can trust and just has a, a female friend that she can hang out with in her life. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because 
within four more episodes from now, she's calling Sue, or Sue is calling Kelly a rat and says that if she passes her by on the street and Kelly is dying of thirst, she wouldn't give her a sip of water to drink. So I was like, wow. Um, and again, this was ep- this was day 28. Um, the last final tribal council was day 39. So what, within 11 days, they've gone from I trust her 100%, she's a sister, she is the best friend that I haven't had for 20 years, to I would literally not give you water if you were dying of thirst. Um, so yeah. So yeah, there's Sue and Kelly, and then they tan together on a raft, and it's cute, but you definitely know that there's a storm of ruin with that friendship. Um, and then it cuts back to Rich and Rudy, mostly just Rich discussing the alliance again. Rich is saying that he's not sure about Kelly. She's kind of on shaky ground. Uh, he doesn't fully trust Sue. But, you know, if they do end up burning him in the end, like, good for them. Because they outwitted him. And clearly no one can outwit Rich, the smartest man on this island. Um, and then it cuts back to Sue. And she says, me and Kelly are taking him down. Um, and I just said, if only, girl power, uh, ending of my dreams. Although I do like Rich, and I'm happy that he won over Kelly, but I, I would have preferred to see Sue go into the final. Um, all right, so the next scene, the whole camp goes down to the tree mail, which I thought was funny uh, that they call it tree mail when, um, in the very first episode when the host, Jeff Probst, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, was explaining it. I was like, oh, that's funny, because email wasn't, like, really a thing yet in 2000. I mean, it was, but, like... It was still clever to make that joke. So they go to the tree mail. It's a message with a cigar. And it's a message that's announcing the birth of Jervis's son. Cigars around for everyone. And so they just got their videos from home a few episodes ago. And Jervis had his little, like, two-year-old daughter who was on the video. But at that point, he didn't mention anything about his girlfriend being, like, nine months pregnant with a son. So... Um, He kind of explains his family situation, that he has two older kids from a previous relationship, uh, his daughter who was on the video, his daughter Kayla, and now his uh, newborn son Gunner. And so someone had asked if um, him and Gunner's mom were together permanently, and he mentions no, he, he is not married. All right, this causes quite the drama of the episode, you know, where they are... Everyone, I think, is a little bit shocked that uh, he has all these kids out of wedlock. All four of the kids were born out of wedlock. But, you know, it's it's a new millennium, man. We're cool. We're cool. It's fine to have kids out of wedlock. Not Rudy. Now, mind you, Rudy is like a 70-something-year-old retired Navy SEAL who's like super straight-laced and is the one who's been like running around calling Rich a queer, just all casual. Um, but in my opinion, he has the best quote of the season here. And it goes, all right, this is the exact quote. I paused uh, every few seconds to write this down exactly. He goes, when I was brought up, if a girl was pregnant and wasn't married, you'd never even know it. They'd take her out of town or somewhere. It was that bad. The girl could have had an abortion. I'll agree with an abortion, but not having kids out of wedlock. And I was shook. Now, mind you, if there's something that you should know about me, and we are, what, almost like 20 minutes into this first episode, maybe you've gotten to know me and you like me and I'm about to say something a little bit controversial and you're not going to like me, that's fine. You can turn off the episode. Um, I am very pro-choice. I am a clinic escort at an abortion clinic. I am all for reproductive justice. But reproductive justice and, like, being pro-choice means supporting women in whatever choice they want to make. And that does not mean having an abortion just because your child might be born out of wedlock. So, um, but I was also very kind of impressed with CBS for airing the word abortion on, like, primetime TV in the year 2000. I feel like that probably doesn't even happen nowadays. So it was interesting that it was 
it was brought up so casually back then, um, especially by someone who supposedly is very conservative and straight-laced. Um, but yeah, I was just very surprised that that kind in that generation, having an abortion is less controversial than having a child out of wedlock. So that whole thing happens. Um, cut to the next scene. We have Jervis and Sean. They come across an empty pizza box with the clue for the next reward challenge. So it's going to be um, a race slash balance challenge where they have to race uh, over a series of poles, uh, kind of one pole per person that are across the water. Um, and then there are platforms in between each pole. Um, and so they're supposed to race. It kind of looks like if you look like... Uh, the chart of a pyramid scheme where it starts off where there's like one and then it branches out to like three and then there's seven on the bottom. That's how it looks. So um, it's there's going to be three legs to the race. And in the first leg, it's the four fastest people across the poles to the platform or people who make it. If you fall off, obviously you're out. And then in the second leg of the race, it's the fastest two and then it's the final one. So they um, race the first leg. Colleen, Kelly, and Rudy immediately all fall off. And then in the second leg, uh, Sean falls in. Sue makes it to the next platform, but she was the slowest. So Jervis and Rich are the last two to make it. And at this point, I was like, well, Jervis has to win. Like, he has a newborn baby, and the prize for this is a phone call home and a slice of pizza. Um, did I mention that previously? I didn't. I think I didn't. But the, the prize for this race or this reward challenge is uh, a slice of pizza and a phone call home. So it's like, obviously, Jervis is going to win his phone call home. So, yes, that's what happens. <laughs> but, of course, I'm still excited as I'm watching it. I'm like, yeah, he gets to call his family. He gets to talk to his girlfriend and his new baby. So that's all very cute. But I was like, okay, this was clearly set up by production. All right, so the pizza, they get a single slice, which is like, at that point, just deliver an entire pizza. It's just as much of an issue to get a single slice of pizza to this remote island in the middle of nowhere. It's delivered by helicopter. Just deliver them the whole pizza. Fine. So it's a hot a slice of hot cheese pizza. You know, Jeff takes it and brings it over to Jervis. Um, and then everyone's like, oh, no, nah, take it, Jerv. Don't share with us. Don't share with us. But Jervis is, like, a good guy, so he offers a bite to everyone. And then, you know, at first I thought he was just, like, being kind of a dick and, like, taunting them, like, oh, do you want a slice, a bite of pizza? But I think he genuinely was being sweet. Sean, like, goes in on it and takes a huge bite, and I'm like, um, kind of rude. Like, you should have just said no and been like, nah, Jerv, you, you won it fair and square. But Sean bites it, and that kind of opens the floodgates. Everyone takes a bite except for Rudy because Rudy is kind. <laughs> Not really. Rudy is kind of an asshole, but, um... He offers it to everyone. They all take a bite. Jervis at the end still has over half the pizza. So it was sweet of him to offer. And everyone gets to enjoy it a little bit. So it's cute. And then Jeff comes over and says that, um, you know, who do you want to call? And Jervis pretends that he's not going to call his girlfriend for a second. And he's like, oh, I want to call Carmela and see how the baby's doing. And it's cute. So they said that he will get his phone call the next day because it's 3 a.m. in New Jersey. And they don't want to waste it. And I'm like, Come on. It's not like you're, he only gets one call. They're going to call until she picks up. But obviously it makes more sense to wait until she's awake. So, okay. It's the next day, day 29. We open on some random shots, you know, overheads of the island. There's a shot of Sue and Kelly still dragging that driftwood from the other day, like I mentioned. Um, and then Rudy just, like, kind of offhand. There's, they put in a random shot of him saying that there's 10 days left and he's going to be happen, happy when it's all over and he never sees these people again. So, you know, Rudy is just, he's, he is truly the ball of sunshine on the island and he keeps the morale up more than anyone else. 
All right, so now it's Jervis. He's kind of walking over to a private area to make his phone call. Um, as he's walking, they kind of intersperse shots of him uh, with Rich and Rudy, like, discussing babies out of wedlock. And, like, Rich is like, it's fine. And Rudy's like, no. <laughs> and so Rudy gets his old man yells at Cloud moment, and he gets to blame the problems of the country on poor family life. Um, he has a choice quote of, uh, they need a family. They need someone beating them in the head because, you know, that's – that's how you grow up big and strong and become a retired Navy SEAL. So maybe maybe Rudy has something there. I don't know. All right. So uh, my favorite part probably of this episode is uh, just the shot of this giant chunky cell phone. It's, it's a Sony Ericsson, but I'm going to call it a Nokia because that's what it looks like. It's like that iconic brick phone with like giant buttons that you can play snake on really well. And it has an antenna, which I have not seen in a hot minute, a cell phone with an antenna. And it's got that little like green screen. It just like brought me back. It brought me back to my childhood. And I don't know, just seeing that phone. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised with the like style of clothing that they wore on Survivor. It really didn't look all that dated. I mean, a little bit, some of the sunglasses and things, but for the most part, it... It wasn't too, it didn't look like it was almost like 20 years old. Um, but that phone was like the one thing, that piece of technology was like, ah, oh, yes, this is very old. And I just, I don't know, I really appreciated it. So they show uh, Jervis talking on the phone and they have a camera like in his house on his girlfriend. And it's like shots in between like him on the island talking and his girlfriend like on her couch with the baby in her lap and the other little daughter like right next to her. So it was very obvious that it was all set up from production that he was going to get his phone call home. Like there's no way that they could have sent a film crew out to his home within the 12 hours from the time he won to the time that he was making his phone call. Or it's not like they had a film crew like waiting outside of everyone's family just on the off chance that they're the ones who win. No, it was very obvious that he was the one calling, but... Um, so it's cute to see, like, you see the baby, and you see uh, his little daughter, Kayla, and she's very cute. Um, they, Carmela, the girlfriend, hands the phone to Kayla. It's cute. Jervis is trying to talk to her. His voice gets all, like, baby voice, and she's like, oh, I'm talking to my daughter. It, like, softens, and it, it's it's very sweet, but the daughter is, like, kind of shy and, like, doesn't say anything to him. She's like, he's like, hey, Kayla, and she just is like, ugh. And Carmela's like, all right, say bye-bye, and she just, like, hands the phone back, so it's kind of funny, but... Um, so he has his little his his little call, but it cuts back over to Sue and Colleen on another part of the island, again talking about Jervis not being married. Kelly kind of is, I guess, instructed by production to like give the the background info on Jervis's family life because he was like, "Oh, I was talking to him. Maybe you heard this too." But it was like, "No, production just told you to say this," and so mentioned something about how. Uh, he had been in a previous relationship with his first girlfriend and had two daughters from that long-term relationship and how he had tried to save the relationship, but she wanted to end it. And now he had his, this new relationship and, you know, they're not getting married quite yet because they're still working through some problems, but that's the responsible thing to do is like work through your issues before you get married. And it's like, I, I don't know if like production is trying to justify having children out of wedlock or if that's just like genuinely the hot gossip on the island for the day. But at this is at this point, that's when I knew like the first time I watched this episode because I watched it, you know, a couple times before I uh, decided to record. 
I was like, okay, Jervis is going home. If there's one thing I've learned from, like, watching RuPaul's Drag Race and uh, going on, like, the RuPaul's Drag Race Reddit um, and listening to all the people who know way more than me about uh, talking about production and story editing and things like that, it's when that you get, like, the family storyline and things, like, get tied up in a nice, neat little bow. Like, your time is over. Like, you're going home. So... That, I, I knew at that point, uh, after he came back from his call, that Jervis was probably not long for the island still. Okay, and so we cut back to Rich and Sue talking about more stuff about alliances. And honestly, I'm so bored at this point. Just like, whatever. Okay, yeah, you have an alliance. Kelly may or may not be in the alliance. She kind of has her own little moment where she says she feels like Luke Skywalker and she crossed over to the dark side for a moment. But I'm like, but you're still in the dark side. Like, you're still making your alliance team members or you want your alliance team members to think that you're in the alliance so you can have the benefit of, like, not having them target you. You want the other members to think that you're not in the alliance so that they don't turn against you. Like, you want it both ways, honestly. You're, like, being more conniving and sneakier than anyone else because you are, like, double-crossing people. So I'm over it. Like, Rich is teaching her how to snorkel while she's like, has this voiceover saying that he's, like, such a terrible person and... It's, it's it's dumb. Whatever. I think she just comes off looking really bad. All right. So then they find a clue for the immunity challenge. Again, we have more like cuts about Colleen talking about the alliance. And at this point, it just seems like everyone knows that Kelly is flip-flopping, except for maybe Sean, because he's kind of a dumbass. Um, it's, again, it, I'm over the alliance talk. Like, just show. Don't tell. Whatever. My one critique of the story editing in this episode particularly is how much they talk about the alliances and who's in what alliance and should she still be in this alliance and how they feel about alliances. And I'm just like, yes, this is how you play the game. I mean, okay, this is also me talking with like 20 years of like cultural knowledge of Survivor and how to play the game and that you make alliances. But it's like not unethical to make an alliance when you're already on like a competition reality show where like your life is being broadcast 24-7. Just do the thing that gets you closer to $1 million. I just I just don't understand why you would even make such a big deal out of it. I don't know. Anyway, so immunity challenge. They get a clue. <laughs> the clue says um, something about wait until sunset, then head for the beach. And Sue contributes, ah, something at night, man. Like that's her her guess about the the challenge. It's, it's going to be at night. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Sue. That is what happens when the sun goes down. Okay, to the immunity challenge. Okay, so the challenge, it's kind of a race with uh, a couple different parts. So they have to go up the beach and collect as much driftwood as they can in three minutes. And then within that three-minute time period, they have to build a little driftwood pile in a fire pit that's underneath a piece of rope that stretched across two poles on either side of the fire so the idea is that once the fire is lit the flames will come up it will burn the rope and then a little weight will drop and a flag will go up and it'll tell who won so um the branches can't touch the wick but they can be right under it so there are a few people i noticed that once jeff says go as they grab their driftwood and they're piling it up they're piling their branches like right up to the wick so that like presumably you could light it and immediately it would break and i was like yeah that's what i would do like that's a very obvious thing to do so they pile up their driftwood that's done and then the next part of the race is they have to swim out to these torches that are in the ocean (laughs) I don't know maybe like 20 feet out um maybe less I can't really tell distances (laughs) um and so they have to light their their own personal torches from the big torches in the water and then swim back and light the fire pit to burn the wick 
Um, so they go out there. They're waiting, really. They're not swimming. So they wait out to the fire, and then they come back, and they start lighting. And then Jeff comes in and ruins my plan and says that you have to light the fire pit from the bottom. So I was like, damn, there goes my idea of just lighting it at the very top where it's almost touching the wick. But So they're lighting... And then as everyone's, like, lighting the fire, poor Jervis's torch just keeps going out. So, like, he lights it. He's waiting back at, at one point. It goes out while he's still in the water. Jeff is, like, encouraging him. Everyone's up on the beach and is building their fires. They're, like, blowing and trying to get the flames going and trying to, like, you know, direct where the flames are going to go so it'll go up and burn the wick. And Jeff's just like, you got plenty of time. Don't worry, Jervis. It's going to take a while for these fires to build. And kind of in that moment, I was like, ah, oh, maybe he's going to come back and, like, his fire is going to catch the fastest even though he was the very last one and he'll win the immunity challenge and like it's just Jervis's day okay so he gets his torch he's literally all the way back to his fire like about to light it and the wind blows <laughs> the wind blows his flame out so he has to turn and walk all the way back like into the into the ocean to get his flame his uh torch lit again and I just I feel pretty bad for him um but at that point it's very obvious that he's not going to win this challenge so um, Rick is kind of, Rich, uh, sorry, not Rick, Rich is taking sticks and, like, l- lighting them on fire, it looks like, and then, like, leaning them up against the wick, which, like, doesn't seem like you're supposed to do that. Like, he's adjusting, like, the already burning sticks or something, uh, but it works, and, like, it burns the wick through, and he wins immunity and does this awkward little, like, spontaneous dance on the beach, um, and it looks really strange, like, weird enough to the point that they actually bring it up in the <laughs> reunion, Um, so that was kind of funny. All right. And then we have the next day. It's day 30 on the island. We open and we have a shot of Jervis swinging in a hammock that they have used already in the previous two days. Like Sue dragging around her driftwood. It's just like the same stuff used over and over again. They're talking about the Alliance once again. They're talking about how Kelly feels bad again. Um, it's also, like, from the same interview that they've used, like, again, the last two days in this episode where she's, like, in the woods and she's, like, stringing twine around a bone or something. It's dumb. All right, then we have Jervis and Colleen. They're sitting in, um, their little hut and they're making little costumes out of masking tape and, uh, their shirts. So Jervis is bullseye and he's making a little bullseye to wear and Colleen is sitting duck and she's making a cute little duck. (laughs) And so basically they're just talking about how um, they feel like they're the next ones out. They recognize that Pagong is being systematically eliminated by the Alliance. At this point it's like very known that there is an Alliance because they have brought it up at like every available opportunity this episode. Um, And so they talk about how if they can figure out who Kelly is voting for because again everyone knows that Kelly has like flip-flopped on the Alliance. Like it's very obvious uh, they say that they will decide, uh, once they figure out who Kelly is voting for, they'll vote along with her and hopefully make a little voting block to protect themselves. Um, and so Sean says he spots some thunderheads brewing. The rest of the survivors talk about battening down the hatches for a storm. I'm like, oh, maybe it's some foreshadowing. Maybe it's something interesting, but it really isn't. Like, the tribal council isn't that dramatic. It just rains a lot, so. Um, all right. Cut to the tribal council. You know, in each of the tribal councils, they have, like, these, like, I don't know, a pre-vote chat where Jeff goes around and just asks these, like, very point-blank questions about what has happened for each, uh, like, episode or each kind of individual set of time between tribal councils. Um, So he brings up the alphabet voting system that Sean had and how that basically guaranteed that Jenna got eliminated. Um, And I, honestly, I... 
Sean is kind of dumb. He should just be voting strategically because, again, you are in a game to win a million dollars. Like, just just play it strategically. But I don't think that the alphabet voting system personally was all bad. I do think that the thing that was bad was he went around announcing whose turn it was, like where he was in the alphabetical rotation. Like he could have not necessarily started from the beginning of the alphabet. He could have started in the middle and then gone alphabetically from there and then just not said and could have said, I'm voting alphabetically, but I started from like a random point in the alphabet so you don't know who I'm on. I'm not going to say anything. Like, if it's your time, it's your time. Like, this is the way that I feel as Ferris. But because he announced that he was voting for Jenna, the alliance was able to capitalize on that and vote her off. So, I I don't know. They bring it up again how, like, that was basically the reason that Jenna got ejected. And then Sean says that after that vote, everyone basically told him to get his head out of his ass and just vote in his own best interest. Kelly gets called out on her voting strategy and like waffles and says that she just votes based on who's competition and who like pisses her off. Um, And then Sue, (laughs) Sue is asked about the alliance again. uh, Colleen's kind of asked about the alliance as well. She says that she would be preferred to call sitting duck and that, you know, she's going to get eliminated because there's an alliance basically. Um, Sue says that America is run on alliances. She gives the analogy of a president taking money from a lobbyist or um, an insurance salesman joining a church, even if he isn't uh, religious, so that he can meet people in the community. Um, so she says that Toggy had a bond. You know, they spent time together. They built their shelter together. They built a home together that naturally uh, alliances will uh, arise. And, you know, just as people get to know one another, that's kind of how they vote. And so then Jeff says, Richard, according to Colleen and Sue, there is an alliance. And Rich just goes, is there and I don't know I just think it's dumb again like just either be open with it or just stop talking about it but the alliance the whole alliance thing was like really heavily leaned into I think there was probably just nothing else unless you wanted to talk more shit about how Jervis had kids out of wedlock so it's time to vote um Jervis votes for Sean because he's a dumbass basically who couldn't recognize the Toggy alliance Sue votes for Jervis and misspells it Colleen votes for Sean, basically the same reason as Jervis. Um, She calls him a putz, which, yeah, there's basically no better way to describe um, Sean than he is just a putz. Um, And so Jeff goes, he tallies the votes. Uh, It kind of votes like Jervis, Sean, Jervis, Sean, and then Jervis gets the last two votes. He's out. I called it. His storyline got wrapped up so nice and neatly. And yeah, it's his time to go. Goodbye, Jervis. You know, you were you're an interesting character. Um, I liked him a lot uh, in in this season of Survivor. Um, I don't. He was very charismatic. That's something that gets brought up a lot. Is that like Jervis is just so charismatic. Like <laughs> he doesn't do any work, but everyone likes him just because he's a fun guy. Um, and it's funny because in the first few episodes, like, I found myself very drawn to him as a character. I always, like, liked to listen to what he had to say. I was like, yeah, he's kind of the de facto leader of Pagong. He really wasn't. Like, in no way was he a leader of anything. He didn't do anything to help on the island. He even admitted it in one of his confessionals. He was just like, yeah, I don't do anything. I just sit around and I'm really lazy. And I kind of just, like, make myself look busy next to where action is happening and no one's called me out on it yet, so I think it's working for me. Um, there was, like, that one episode where he said that women are the stupidest thing on the planet next to cows or something like that. Um, and instead of everyone getting angry at him, like, people kind of just laughed it off and then got angry at Joel, who just, like, laughed at that joke and voted Joel off because they said he was a male chauvinist pig. 
when Jervis like literally compared women to cows. So he was an interesting character. Um, I think his energy, you know, brought a lot to the first season of Survivor. And yeah, you will be Miss Jervis. So the the ancient voices plays. I bop around. I really like that theme song. Jervis walks down the hill. He does his little final confessional as they do. Um, basically, he says he has no ill ill feelings towards anyone in Tagi for making alliances, um, but just that Pagong wanted an open game and, you know, may the best person win. It's all very nice, but I'm just like, Lord, can we stop talking about the alliance? That's the only thing that was discussed this episode. Um, I don't, yeah, so that's it. Uh, so yeah, overall, I really liked the episode. Um, I thought it was a significant one because, uh, like I mentioned, it is the one kind of where everyone figured out, like, how to play the game and that alliances are the best way to play the game um overall i did enjoy this season of survivor a lot i yeah i i was kind of sad when it was over um because the next season is survivor australian outback and that's like a very different setting than the desert island that was the first season so i did want to keep watching but you know you got you got to move on to to better things and other reality shows um so we will i think we will revisit survivor um one of my friends, when I had asked for different examples of reality shows that uh, everyone likes and, you know, things that people enjoy, um, just trying to get some ideas for the podcast, she she was able to connect me with a Survivor super fan. Um, so shout out to you, Michael. <laughs> you probably won't listen to this, but um, he <laughs> gave me a very long detailed watching list of all of the different Survivor seasons and the order that I should watch them in and which seasons I should skip and which seasons I should watch. So I don't know if I can commit to all 40 or whatever seasons of Survivor there are now because I think they put out like two a year. Um, but I think we definitely will come back and rewatch and revisit Survivor. Um, it's still going. It's still a huge reality show. So I don't think it's a miss to come back and watch another season. Um, any final thoughts on this episode or this season of Survivor in general? Oh, there is something I wanted to say. I just do want to say that for the first, like, five, maybe six episodes of Survivor, I fully, like, could not tell half the white people apart. And I am a white woman, <laughs> just to be clear, but <laughs> all of the white women, and especially the white men, looked exactly the same, and I had no idea who was who, except for Sue, because she had that accent, so, like, that's probably why I love her so much, um, but I just thought it was really funny, and I should probably go back and rewatch the beginning of the season now that I actually know, like, who the characters are, and I don't think they are all just one white amorphous blob, um, and it would probably make more sense to me, but, uh, yeah, Survivor, I hope in in your later seasons your cast got a little bit more diverse or at least they looked different and they're easier to tell apart because that was super confusing at first all right everyone well i think that's it for my first episode um so thank you so much for listening to snap back to reality uh if you'd like to rate us um please give us five stars and a good review on itunes or google or just tell your friends about us um you can find us on Facebook at Snapback to Reality, or at least you will once I make the Facebook page because I haven't done that yet. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Snapback to Reality Pod, or you can feel uh, free to send me an email at snapbackpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, until next time, thank you so much and stay real.